Well, please pray with me as we jump into this text this morning. Uh, Father, we love you. We're so grateful that uh, we're gathered here in your name. God, a place where uh, we know that we're safe and that we can uh, be transparent. And, and God, that your word would, would read our hearts and expose new, new things to us. God, that you would expose even blind spots this morning. Uh, Lord, that you would pour out your grace and your mercy through your word, that we'd be encouraged uh, through your word. And as a body, as, as a church, Lord, we'd encourage one another uh, as brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah, we love you and we trust you. And I pray that your word now would, would be uh, opened up and that through the Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would reveal your, your greatness, your majesty, your, your beauty uh, to those that hear. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, good morning. We're continuing through uh, this series in Ephesians where there's been a couple of sub-series uh, as we've gone through that. And um, the first three chapters of Ephesians, we'll see that it, it kind of directs us of, of who we are in, in Christ. And then the next three chapters, four, five, and six, which we've been in for the last couple months, uh, it's showing us is that how God has changed us through Christ as his adopted sons and daughters. Uh, in verse 4, or in chapter 4, verse 23, it kind of launches us into these, this chapter 4, 5, and 6 by giving us this list of things that, that we would want to do as followers of Christ. It talks about that we'd be transformed and that there a new self would come to life. In verse 23 of chapter 4 says, And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. Which I think is the kind of token statement for the rest of chapter 4, chapter 5, and into chapter 6. To take off our, our old humanity and to put on our new humanity in Christ. And we see this list and it says that, that we are to take off our old selves instead of, instead of lying. That we would be people that speak truth to one another. Instead of becoming angry, that we would peacefully resolve conflict. Instead of stealing, we would be generous. Instead of being a gossip, we would encourage one another with our words. Instead of revenge, we see that we're called to be people of forgiveness. Instead of gratifying the flesh, that we may have self-control in the Spirit. And instead of drunkenness, that we would be filled by the Spirit. And so you see this list as you go through uh, what it looks like to be transformed, to, to take off your old self and put on your, your new self, to be an imitator of Jesus. And that token verse is that it's renewed in the spirit of your minds, is that we can't do it on our own. There's no way that this list of our old selves would ever change in us unless there's an act of the Holy Spirit that happens inside of our hearts and begins to transform us. Paul continues to expose um, more of that through, as we've been talking about the, the series in the Holy Spirit and the series in, in, in marriage for the last couple months. And he shows us that you practice these things in your home. You practice these things in your, in your marriage with your spouse. You practice these things as parents. And today, specifically, we'll talk about how we practice these things in work. Not just in our workplace, but, but the way we are interacting with one another. Paul exposes to us um, what it looks like to be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
He says that it starts by singing songs together. And I think that's what we're called to do, is that we come together as a church and we would, we would lift up our voice and sing songs in a community of believers together. But then it also says sing songs alone, that our hearts will be filled of worship throughout the day. It's not just when people are watching, but when we're even on our, in our alone time with the Lord, that we would be filled with the Spirit and we'd sing songs and let His words give us life. But then he goes on, he says, and be thankful for all things. Even when it's hard, practice this. To always be thankful, knowing that God is in control of everything. And it says, and being filled with the Spirit looks like dying to yourself, dying to your old ways, and, and praying that the Holy Spirit would give you a new life and would continue to, to transform and give you new opportunities to be a new self in Christ. And that's what it looks like to be an imitator of Jesus. And like I said, we've been talking about what that looks like in, in our marriages, Right? as a spouse uh, to one another, how does the Holy Spirit transform us from the old way to this newness in Christ? And then also in parenting. And today, like I said, we're going to talk about it in, in the arena of, of work and how we inter- interact with, with one another. But none of this happens without the empowering of the Holy Spirit. That's the foundation in which how, we, uh, how God has changed us, it's through the act of the Holy Spirit in us. It's not done in our own abilities. So I think every verse that we look at from uh, Ephesians 5, 18, all the way to Ephesians 6, 9, where we'll kind of land today, you'll see this power of the Holy Spirit producing things in us. And so I just want to kind of walk through that chain of thoughts real quick, and this, that'll, be the re- that'll be the summary to, to um, verse 5 in chapter 6. But it says in verse 5, 19, that the Spirit produces songs, like we said just saying, songs of the Lord to Jesus. And in verse 20, he produces gratitude of God in the name of the Lord Jesus. He produces submission in reverence to Christ in verse 21. In verse 22 of chapter 5, wives submit themselves to their husbands as to the Lord. That doesn't happen without the Holy Spirit. In verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. In chapter 6, verse 1, children, obey your parents unto the Lord. In chapter 6, verse 4, fathers, bring up your children in the discipline and the instructions of the Lord. Today we'll talk about bond servants. Obey their earthly masters in singleness of heart as to Christ. And in verse 9, masters, don't threaten your servants because you too have the same master in heaven. None of that, none of those submissions, none of those dying to selves, none of those transformations happen without Jesus doing a major act in our lives. And as you read through verse 518 all the way to where we'll finish today, you'll see that this is a story about a family. You'll see that it's, it's starting in the home with your spouse, with your kids and those that live in that house. And that's what we'll talk about today is that the bond servant, someone that lives in your home, someone that we'll talk about what a bond servant is. There's three questions I'd like to try to answer today is one is who is a bond servant? Two is how do we live as Christ in our work? Not just our workplace, but with all people as we work. And three, I'd like to go back around and ask the same question as number one. Who is a bondservant? Who is the bondservant? So in verse five, we start off. It says, bondservants, obey your earthly masters fear with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. So we see this dynamic of a bondservant and a master. And so we need to understand who is a bondservant. Now, some of the earlier interpretations, and maybe in some of your Bibles that you're reading in today, instead of bondservant, you see the word slave. 
slave and master. So somewhere they've, they've taken, they started to change. That word is, is um, interchangeable. Uh, for our culture, when we hear the word slave, it kind of goes to the last 300 years, and there's some, some uh, negative presuppositions that go along with that, rightfully so, about how people were treated in that, that, that thing of slavery, starting in the 1700s and going through the 1900s, where it was race-based. It's commonly brutal situations, a lot of aggressive behavior, violent relationships between a slave and a master. But in those times, uh, the slave was actually stolen from their home and captured and taken to work, uh, usually without their, their okay. Now, the definition of a bondservant in theological commentaries would say this. A bondservant is, is one who is owned by someone else. All of his livelihood, all of her livelihood, all of their possessions are given to them and controlled by someone else. That would be the definition of a bondservant. In the first century... This is much different than what we recognize in the last 300 years. In the first century, it is not race-based. In the first century, uh, the bondservant normally and typically would be a man or a woman that would actually sell themselves into being inside of a family. It was more based off of class or what your availability was. And so class would be a lower class may come to a higher class and say, hey, can I work for you? And that, that master would actually hire them on, and they would actually adopt them into the family. They would become a worker in the home, and that could have been in the, the work in the land, uh, administratively, or even in their house. And every time uh, that a, a bondservant would, would uh, show themselves as a worthy servant, then they would be given more responsibility, even to the point where they would take care of the master's children, the, the master's most prized possessions, Right? And so we see that today in the text as well, that these bondservants are invited in. And when you are, are a servant that's, that's, that's worthy, then, then there's these treasures, this blessing that comes along with, with uh, being a servant that, that serves well, serves the master well. I think it's interesting that Paul is clumping all of this together in the same uh, pericope, verses 5, 18 through 6, 1 through 9, where he's talking about family the whole time. He's talking about a husband. Right? Caring for his, his wife, a bride, respecting the husband, a parent, child, uh, uh, parenting well their children, and now a master caring for and the bondservant respecting the master. And so you see this like, this is, a, this is a family, this is in a home. This is not just outside the home where the, the bondservant may go, but it's where the bondservant is actually under the submission, under the authority of, of the, the head of the house. And so when you read that long prickby that JP read for us this morning, you see, oh, this isn't just a hard break and, and the bondservant-master relationship is something different. It's actually something that's inside the, the family unit, the family dynamic. And Paul in Colossians 3 really emphasizes that there's no, there's no difference, right? And he says in verse uh, 11, Here there is no Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. In the home, um, first of all, this letter is being written to the church, to Christians. And so he's writing to the masters, but he's also writing to the bondservants. And they both will be reading this letter. 
Paul is encouraging the master and the bondservant, like, hey, this relationship you have, it may not be like some of the other relationships that are out there, that are outside the church. But we, inside the church, this is how we're going to care for one another. There's obviously an important part of, of looking uh, into the church. Paul's looking into the church and saying, this is an, uh, a letter that needs to be written. There are masters that are probably abusing their bondservants. And there are bondservants that are probably not submitting to their master. They're looking at their work and they're, and they're being begrudging and, and, and they're, they're complaining and they're not liking what they're doing. They may be feeling like they're being taken advantage of. But inside this family unit, as Christians, as believers, that the bondservant and the master would actually be gone to be taught the biblical way of what it looks like. And that includes our work. These men and women would be taught about Genesis 1 in the very beginning where God gave us work as part of, of how we would worship him, how we would exist. This was before sin entered into the world. God gave this list of things to Adam and said, these are the things you're going to do. You're going to, be, you're going to lord over the animals. You're going to work the soil. You're going to produce food. You're going to provide for yourself through your hands. Sin had not entered yet, and so this tainted understanding that we think of work, right? We think, oh, I don't want to go to work today. There's something that's gross about that. It's exhausting. Instead, it's like I show up, and, and it's an act of worship to be able to, to know that it's a gift from the Lord and that these bond servants would be taught that inside these homes, that this work that you have in front of you, I mean, this is a gift from God. This is a gift that he's given you the ability to do, to create and to build and to grow and to provide for your family, for this family. It's a blessing. It's a gift. And in our culture so often we think of work as something that's, I have to do it. It's a means to an end. It is a beautiful gift and it's a great gift to be able to work hard because God uses work to provide for us. He tells us to work to be able to provide for us through our own energies and efforts at times. In verse 6, it says, Not by the way uh, of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord whether he is a bondservant or free. John Piper wrote an article uh, about what it looks like to live as Christ in the working place, which is kind of our second question. How do we do that well? And so I took some of his thoughts and I added some thoughts, and I just want to kind of go through a list of what I felt like. It's like, man, this is very practical and very helpful in the way that we view work, in the way that we can look at work but also look at the Lord. Not only work in, like, what we're doing with our hands, but the opportunities at work, the relationships that are built, those people that God has put in your life to care for and to love for, those people of peace that may be wondering who Jesus is and God's put them right beside you in a, in a cubicle or on a ladder or at a, a desk, whatever. And God's placed them there so that we can continue to be people that lead others to Christ. And so here's this list. Uh, it was helpful for me just thinking through it. Uh, dependence, right? Go to work utterly dependent on God. Go to work utterly dependent on God. Without God, you can't breathe. You can't think. You can't feel. You can't talk. And that, just like we're saying, Lord, I need you. And everything that we do when we go to work, that we depend on God through every second of our work. 
Be people of integrity. Absolutely and meticulously honest and trustworthy. Be people that, that are going to honor God with not just being there, but being on time. Giving a full day's work. Don't be a slacker. Right? I think that honors the Lord in the way that we go to work and the way we work uh, with others around us. Be people of integrity. Think about the skill. Strive to be excellent in what, what, God, has, uh, what God has you doing. Has you doing. Is that right? Whatever your skill set is, whatever the position is, whatever your work is, strive to be excellent in that. Not for your own glory. Strive to be excellent because excellency always points to the one that who is excellent. So striving for excellency inside of our workplace. Be transforming. Transforming. Be an influence. Every time you have an opportunity, whether you are the CEO or you're the grassroots grass, uh, person that's just entering into the business, you have an opportunity to shape the environment. Just by the way you are. By the way that you do these other things. So be transforming. Have an impact. Again, this is something that's life-enhancing to other people. When you have an impact on others, that you can be life-enhancing, not soul-crushing. Don't join in on the complaining. Don't join in on the gossip. But be someone that makes a difference and stands out. Be a light into that environment. Here's one that I think we all are really bad at. And if I, as I do premarital counseling, this is the one thing that I'm always encouraging uh, young couples to do together is communicate well. I mean, you don't think about it, but that's a huge element of being able to, to work and, and worship God is that the way that we communicate, the relationships that we have are possible only through a good communication line. No one can read your, your thoughts. I know, isn't that unfair? You'd like to be able to, hey, just, you don't know what I'm thinking right now? Two more. The last one is be generous. It's all of God's. It's all His. And I like what Piper says when it talks about um, the, way that, the way and why we work. He says, don't work to earn to have. All right? Instead, work to earn, to have, to give, and to invest in Christ-exalting adventures. And so that changes everything. We can work to have and just stop there. Or we can be people that work to have so that we can turn around and to give and be generous and to invest in the kingdom of God. Piper says, let, your, let how you manage your money scream, Christ is my supreme treasure. I love that. And the last one is love. Serve others. Take interest in others. Care for those that are working with you, those that are working above you. We're going to talk about that hierarchy of master, bond, servant, and we get so caught up in like, oh, he's the boss, she's the boss. And we get sucked into the, the ways of the world. Instead, that we could just go in and actually listen to their stories and know their names and invest in their lives. Paul ends in verse 8 and he says, whether he is a bondservant or free, meaning that, that Paul's about to, to bridge this, this gap between classes. And he's going to build that bridge through the blood of Jesus. It says in verse 9, masters, do the same to them. And stop with your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. And that there is no partiality with him. One of my favorite books is a 
a book uh, on leadership called Leadership and Self-Deception. Uh, if you want to borrow it, it's in the library downstairs. It's a great book. It talks about a CEO that's bringing in an apprentice that's about to be the next CEO. This CEO is going to retire, and he brings in the apprentice. And this apprentice is a hard worker. He knows the business inside out. He knows the finances. He knows how to run the, 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 the billion-dollar organization. But the CEO calls him into a conference room that's the size of this room and the high-rise, and just the two of them are sitting there. And he begins to say to the apprentice, we need to talk about your blind spots. And the CEO says, and I only can have this conversation with you because my boss that hired me to come and do, uh, be the CEO, he sat me down and he exposed to me the blind spots that I had before I became the chief executive officer. And so he sits down and he says, do you know how the people in this organization view you? And the apprentice is like, not really. And, and the CEO goes on to teach him and says, you are feared by everyone. Everyone that's in this organization is afraid of you. Did you know that? And the apprentice says, no, I didn't. I had no clue. The CEO is taking, investing time in this guy that has no clue. They're called blind spots for a reason, right? And this was the blind spot is that, that no one in the organization actually trusted this guy. They're all afraid of him. They're all fear-based out of their work. And what he was doing to this, this gentleman was saying, do you want that? Do you want people to be afraid of you? And the apprentice was like, no, I have no desire for people to be afraid of me. Then we have to learn how to work differently. I know you know how to manage the business, but do you know how to care for the people? And the CEO would go on and say and teach him, what I learned is that we have to serve everyone. From the first hire to the guy that's the apprentice, the thing that we can do is very common to what we hear in Philippians 2, is in humility count everyone more significant than ourselves. And that was the mode of operation for the CEO. He would go on and share some stories about spending um, two hours every single day for the first couple months at work as he was the, the new CEO, studying the uh, roller decks of everyone that worked inside the business. They'd have a picture of them and their name, their kids, their, their spouse, and he would just study that for hours during the week just to know and to build relationships and to invest in these people's lives. So that when he met the person on floor one, he could say, hey, Bill, good to see you. How's Hillary doing? You got that. Good. Thank you. <laughs> but it's a pretty simple philosophy, right? It's a pretty simple philosophy that, that business can be ran by caring for others more than you care for yourself. But yet we get so incredibly sucked in and deceived because that's the nature of our sin. The nature of our sin is that it's position of power over position of purpose. We only have the authority. Because it has been given to you by a greater master. And so in Romans 13, it impacts that in the very first verse. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Jesus would look into the whites of Pilate's eyes in John 19. And Pilate would say to Jesus, I have the authority to crucify you. Or to set you free. And Jesus would respond. The only authority that you have. Has been given to you from above. You see we like Pilate. Are easily deceived. 
we think that we've earned our positions. We think that we can justify our actions by people that are that are lower than us or even the way that we care or treat someone that is our, our boss. But the reality is, is that you haven't earned any position that you're being given that position. And so that we wouldn't be deceived um, to take it on as like no one can take this from me from me. If we do that, then we're getting sucked into the lie that that we're the role. We're playing the role of the greater master. Not only in our own lives, but we're playing the role of the greater master in other people's lives. In Matthew 24, Jesus teaches this parable about two servants. He says in verse 44, Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you, uh, you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant, whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all of his possessions. Paul's leveling the playing field here. In verse 9 of chapter 6, he says, Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. He's speaking in a way that we go back to answer question three. Who is the bondservant? And he's saying that we're all bondservants to a greater master. We're all to be preparing the way, preparing for our master to return in everything that we do. No matter what position we hold in every relationship that we have, that we should always be preparing the way for our master to come and to return. And when that servant is diligent in that, then more responsibility is given to that person to watch over more things, to watch over and care for even the children of the master. When we're able to look at our work through that lens, whether it's in an industry, whether it's in the home, whether you're the chief executive officer or you're the entry level position, that does not matter, is that if we can look at that as a way of serving the greater master. So no longer do we have hierarchy and bosses that we just uh, are submitting to. Now we're submitting to the master. doesn't mean that we don't respect those on both ends, but that we're serving with a different purpose. The position we are in now is a position of purpose, to glorify and to honor God always. But Jesus goes on in verse 48. He's talking about two servants. The second servant says, it says that, But if that wicked servant says to himself, My master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We see with this one servant that has this wicked heart, as the master may be delayed, he takes it upon himself and ends up sliding into these three different positions. He deceives himself that it's the master's not watching me, he's not there, he's not looking, that I can get away with these things. 
And these are things I think that we all have to be careful of. The first thing that I see in that is that, that, we, that we begin to not tend to the master's business, but we start caring for our own agendas. The second thing is that, that the, the, the wicked servant was mistreating others and not caring for others like the master would have. The third thing is that he was giving himself to the pleasures of the flesh and not being obedient to the spirit. And I think that if we find ourselves serving masters of, that, are, that are men and women, then we'll find ourselves easily being deceived and sucked into this. But if we recognize that the one, the one that we're serving is the greatest master, Jesus, then we begin to have a heart of worship in our workplace. We have a heart of worship in, in our relationships that we're building inside of all of those, uh, those, those environments. It says that if you don't do that, he uses a really strong word. He says I'm gonna, that you'll be cut, which means that you'll be lashed. Exposing the master's rage is what that word is supposed to do. But if we are obedient to that, it says that, that we'll be blessed by the master. So going back to Ephesians 5.18, if we are not filled with the Spirit and relying on Jesus, if we're not single-minded to serve Jesus, then I think we'll slip into this type of behavior. Throughout this section of Scripture, we see Paul talking about relationships. Relationships between husband and wife. We see him talk about relationships between parents and children. And we see him explain this relationship between a servant and a master. You see, at the end of all of this, Jesus is the one that we look to for that perfect example. Jesus is the loving and caring and serving husband. Jesus is the leader of his bride, the church. Jesus is the father, which offers precise discipline and glorious nurturing to his children. Jesus is the bondservant to his father, desiring for his father's will to be done even to death on a cross. And then he extends his hand of grace and mercy, calling us to serve in the same way. Dying to ourselves and becoming a bondservant. Jesus is the perfect and just master in all of this. And he's calling us to serve him in everything that we do. And if we're not able to look at our life and look at our place of, of work or home or, or rearing children and, and that not be a place where we see that we're serving Jesus, then we need to beg and plead for God to transform us so that we might serve him and not ourselves and not our own agendas. That we might see that when we serve uh, with a greater agenda, when we put ourselves second and we put others before ourselves, then we're actually serving our master, the greatest master, Jesus. And that's a challenge that we see in this text. And the next, next week we'll see how to protect ourselves from the evil that's out there and how we can't do this. Again, we can't do this without being filled with the Spirit. Let's pray. God, we pray in the name of Jesus because there's no other place we can go. There's no other thing that we can call on to, to make us be men and women of enough integrity. And men and women that are, are good enough, that are moral enough, that are ethical enough. 
God, those things die and they, they, they're all dead ends without You being our Master and without us being filled with the Spirit and relying solely on the Holy Spirit to guide us, to direct us, to know how to be husbands and wives, to know how to be parents, to how to be a, a boss or um, an employee. God, we look to You and we call in the name of Jesus to help us to understand how we can do this through the Spirit of Christ. And so, Jesus, we ask that you would do that in us, that you would transform us for your glory. And we pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.